Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do, turn to Proverbs chapter 1. I also want to bring your attention, uh, bring to your attention some study guides that we have available at the top of the stairs in the back and also behind the welcome desk. Uh, these are for our, our full series uh, through the book of Proverbs, and there are questions and and further uh, study available through that. So I want to encourage you to pick one of those up um, available for you in the, in the back. All right. Well, if you uh, missed Pastor Mike's sermon last week, I want to just encourage, take a moment to encourage you. All of our past sermons are available online. You can go and listen to or watch past sermons and services. I want to bring this one to uh, your attention because in last week's sermon, Mike laid a foundation for this series uh, through the book of Proverbs. And uh, in his introductory serv- uh, sermon, he laid this foundation. And in that sermon, he said this He said, quote, The goal of Proverbs is not merely to impart knowledge, but to shape character. And sometimes when we open up the Proverbs, we think, if I can just add this to my arsenal of things to do, then it'll help me make better decisions. Like, we're viewing Proverbs in the wrong way if we look at it that way. This is intended to shape our character. And we need to keep in mind as we read through the book of Proverbs that these are not promises to hold on to. What I mean by that is it's not to look and read a promise as if, like, if I do X, then Y and Z will happen. Like, it's not a promise to hold on to. It is, rather, we should view Proverbs uh, as signposts pointing the hearers toward the path of wisdom, which at the trailhead, as we saw last year, this path of wisdom to enter into this trail called wisdom there is a gate at the beginning, and in this gate, it's called the fear of the Lord. We looked at that in chapter 1, verse 7 last week, where it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning, is the launching of knowledge. And on that point, theologian Albert Barnes uh, wrote this. He said, the beginning of wisdom is found in the temper of reverence and awe. He's saying that those who adopt the disposition, the attitude of reverence and awe toward the Lord. That's what it means to have fear of the Lord. It is to put him in his rightful place and keep us in our rightful place. It says, the beginning of wisdom is found in the temper of reverence and awe, the fear of the finite in the presence of the infinite, of the sinful in the presence of the holy. This for the Israelite, which is the original audience hearing these Proverbs, this for the Israelite was the starting point of all true wisdom. It's an ancient path, well-worn by saints of past ages. It's not a wide, smoothly paved, free of hazards, and nicely illuminated highway. That's not what this path is. Quite the contrary, actually. This ancient path is a narrow trail. Although it's well-worn, it's often difficult to find. The way is not easygoing. It's full of hazards. But it is the path to life. As Jesus taught in his great discourse, a Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew's chapters 5, 6, and 7, specifically Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus said this. He said, enter by the narrow gate. 
For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it, enter by it, are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Every step along this path of wisdom leads the wayfarer closer to Christ and to everlasting life in fullness. The natural path, the one that we follow without any, any, any thinking about it, the, the default mode for us is that path of folly. And Proverbs describes these two paths in many different accounts throughout the book of Proverbs. We'll see this path called the path of destruction and the path of life or the way of wisdom. In fact, Proverbs is not the only book in the Bible that will lay this out for us. In fact, all of Scripture lays out the path that leads to destruction and the path that leads to life. Though the path, the natural one, the one that we follow easily, the path of folly, though it's paved with ease and comfort, it is, in its end, destruction. One request I have consistently prayed for my own life and for my wife and my daughters, is that, is that God, and this is almost daily do I pray this prayer, is that God would give us wisdom. For knowledge is gained, but wisdom is given. We can gain knowledge by studying scripture. We can gain knowledge by reading books, by listening to podcasts. We can gain knowledge, but wisdom is a gift of the Lord. It is given and we would do well to seek this gift, to earnestly ask the Lord to give us wisdom. My big idea for, for our text today, we will finish up chapter one, but is that those who follow Christ would humbly, diligently, and persistently seek wisdom, which is a gift from the Lord. Though folly is effortless and comes naturally, wisdom is a gift to be pursued. Our, our, our text today, verses 8 through 33, I'm going to break it up into three parts, and we'll, we'll hit those successively. So beginning in verse 8, we read this. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8 says, Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Our text this morning begins with the word, here, but oftentimes we think of that as more of an action on the person that's listening. In fact, actually, listen would be a more accurate word of the father because there's, there is a command in this word that the father is charging the son, listen to what I have to say. Open your ears. If any of you have teenagers, you know what that means. So just listen to me, please. Just listen, right? The father is saying, and, it, and he's stressing, this is important. Listen to this. Hear the words that I have to say. The endearing intentions of, a caring, of caring, guiding parents come through the father's words here. But there is an urgency behind this command. Make no mistake, though, although this, this instruction is led by the father, the wisdom is shown to be imparted by both mother and father. What Proverbs is, the picture that Proverbs is painting for us here is that, is that of a healthy pattern of training to be done within the home. And I think it's, it's, it's only fitting as today as Mother's Day to pause for a moment here and just remember with gratitude 
the sacrifices and investments our mothers have made in our lives. Mothers, if I may speak to you for a moment, your job, although at times it is a thankless job, it is of utmost importance. It is necessary. It is needed. Your mission field, though the Lord may lead you to other fields where you will sow gospel seeds, your primary mission field is your children. It's not just moms, but since today is Mother's Day, dads, we need to just be content with the back seat. So parents, our mission field is our children. And this is what Proverbs, the, the, the picture that Proverbs paints here is a pattern established that the primary instruct, instruction exemplification, the example that they see, and the investment is to be done by parents. Take care, parents, not to abdicate your right of shaping your child to the state, to the media, to the academy, not even the church. The primary role of shaping our children is given to moms and dads, and they are watching and listening and they will emulate. I remember, man, when my, my, I have two daughters, and they're teenagers now, uh, but I remember the first time they did something that I know they learned from me. <laughs> yeah, we'll leave that one alone. All right, so the role of parents we see is to protect, to provide, and to prepare, raise our children. This means impart the wisdom that you have gleaned from God's word, because you are in God's word. It means impart the wisdom from life experiences, that was, which was taught through natural revelation or that you gained by your parents or others who have invested in you. Pass on what you have learned. Invest in your children. And the father's charge to his son here in these first two verses of our text is that the first step on this path of wisdom is humility. Humble yourself before the Lord in reverence and awe. We saw that in verse 7, that the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge is fear of the Lord. Humbling yourself by acknowledging that God will use others to impart his wisdom to you. And that the humility part is saying, you don't have everything you need. You need to look outside of yourself. You need to humble Yourself, And here's a father telling a son who's ready to go take on the world what you need. God will use others to provide through your life. Humble yourself. This isn't just an instruction to young men or young women. This is an instruction to people because we like to think that we have it all together. We like to pretend that we have it all together. But what Proverbs is showing us is that we need each other. That God uses one another to impart wisdom. So the beginning of this path of wisdom, there is humility. Humble yourself before the Lord. Acknowledge that others have wisdom to give to you. And then desire wisdom as one would desire recognition. Well, what do I mean by recognition. That second verse we read in verse 9 talks about this garland, this graceful garland on your head and pendant, pendants around your neck. So what does this mean? Well, these were items adorned by royalty at the time of the, that this was written, adorned by royalty, and that royalty gave to others in order to 
Acknowledge and honor them. A few examples. Genesis 41, verse 42. We see Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, at that time, the strongest by the world power, the strongest nation in the world at that time in history. Pharaoh honors Joseph by placing the king's jewelry upon him for all to see and observe. It was a recognition of honor that the king gave to Joseph. We also see in Daniel chapter 5, verse 29, the king does similarly to Daniel. He places on him his jewelry to honor him and to separate him out as a high-ranking official. It was to denote that he was of importance stated by the king. The king was honoring him and placing him in a position of importance. We also saw that in Esther chapter 6, uh, specifically verses 7 through 9. And that, that scenario is a little bit more fun to explain. When asked by the king, we have uh, a couple characters in Esther, and one character, a, an advisor to the king, was asked by the king in Esther chapter 6 how best to honor someone. Haman, by name, mistakenly thinking the king was talking about himself instead of his mortal enemy, Mordecai, goes into this long rant about what the king ought to do to honor what he was thinking him. And he says this in verse 7 and 8 and 9. He says, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. Later on he says, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. And so there was this pattern. When the king, when someone of nobility, of importance, wanted to recognize and honor someone, there was either a crown or a garland placed on their head, pennants placed around their neck, and it represented honor. So what the king, the, uh, sorry, what the father is telling his son is if you want to live a life in which is, it, it receives honor, walk the path of wisdom. Don't walk the natural path of folly. Follow the path of wisdom. And he begins to explain this in the rest of our verse and continues to explain it throughout the book of, of Proverbs. But the, this garland of grace and the penance represent not only natural blessings, recognition or honor, ultimately what this represents are spiritual and eternal blessings for those who heed wisdom's instruction and who, and who respond to wisdom's call. The blessing here is deeper than material wealth in a fading age. The following verses that we'll look at next depict three types of people, and there's two warnings that the Father gives, um, because along this path, and, and I'll just take a moment here, if, if you have not read John Bunyan's uh, account, his story, allegory called uh, The Pilgrim's Progress, I would commend that to you. Uh, if you did not know, next to the Bible, it is the second most read book in the world, and it has been a huge part of discipling Christians throughout the generations. If you have not read that allegory, it is a, there's, there's a lot in Proverbs that, that Bunyan pulled from as he was writing this, this story. It is, it is an allegorical tale of the Christian life. And along this path of wisdom, there are many distractions. There are many attempts to derail you and to draw you back onto the wide path of destruction. And so we need to diligently seek after wisdom. And so the father says, uh, after, after charging his son to pursue wisdom and that 
following the path of wisdom leads toward honor, he, says, he warns him of those things which would distract him from this path and, and of those people who would seek actively to derail him. And so we see three types of people that will show up throughout the book of Proverbs that we'll see over the months as we study this. And there, are, there is one group of people that, that Proverbs denotes as the simple that are passively rejecting wisdom. And they're swept away by sin into corruption. And there are two groups that are actively rejecting wisdom and seeking to lead others astray. We'll look at those as we get into the text, but we'll pick up in verse 10 and read through verse 19 of chapter 1. Verse 10 says this, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole. Like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. So in seeking, in diligently seeking wisdom, the, fathers, the father gives some warnings. One, the first warning is resist the temptation of greed. And he, he uses a picture to help describe this to his son, that of a gang of, of his peers, this picture describes a young man's generation, but more importantly than age, it represents the prevailing thought of the day. It's as if the wise father looking at, at his son imparts a warning. You will encounter many people in the world around you who speak a narrative contrary to the way of wisdom. The father says, don't listen to them. As you're tuning your ear to hear the voice of wisdom, Block out the other noise that is distraction. But it's less about doing the things as uh, the way that it's always been done. Sometimes we hear that from older generations, just do it this way because this is always the way it's been done. That's not what he's getting at here. It's more so about following the voice of wisdom and walking in the path of those who have gone before you following the voice of wisdom learning to listen and diligently seeking the voice of wisdom over and above the loud voices of the world around us. Those voices attempt to entice with promises of treasure, ill-gotten wealth, pleasures and comforts by dishonest gain. Father tells his son, these fellows downplay the shock of violent action and promote taking what you want because you deserve it. This is their message, their narrative. And this sense of entitlement promotes a disposition or an attitude of taking drastic measures to get what they want, regardless of the price others may have to pay. At the root, greed, selfish desire, self-exaltation. 
Come with us, they say. We shall find enough precious goods even to fill our whole homes, they say. Throw your lot in with us, they say. Think as we do, act as we do. Gain what we gain. The wise father warns. Verse 15, do not even walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. Well, sometimes the temptation is we look at people that bend the rules in order to get. And we look at them and, and we say, they, they do, they gain, but their gain is only momentary. Ultimately, the path that they're on ends in destruction. They lie in wait for their own destruction, Proverbs tells us. All along, thinking they're getting the upper hand on others, the ambush is actually set for their own soul. Jesus would say it this way, what value is it if you gain the whole world but you lose your soul? What value is that? Implying there is no value there or that the value is temporary, fleeting. The shine wears off. Somebody has newer tech than you do. Your car is no longer the newest one on the road, right? These things, they fade. The gain that we thought we had. And here's, here's the reality, here's the lie that greed will not, will not let us in on. The lie that it tells to us is that you will be satisfied if you only get. But all the while, greed is an empty pit that just devours. It's always hungry. It always needs more. And so the father says, stay away from these. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy, verse 19 tells us, for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. In his charge, the father says, diligently seek wisdom, prepare for and resist the temptation to indulge in self-centered greed. And then in verses 20 through 32, we see a warning that the father, a second warning that the father gives of those who reject wisdom. And the onset of this book of Proverbs, and later in the book we'll get into a lot of wise sayings and things that that we can ponder and think about and the wisdom of. But here at the, the beginning, he shows this pathway that is leading to life, the pathway that is natural for flesh, that is leading to destruction. And he says, on this pathway, you need to reject those who are calling you to, to walk away from wisdom, to ignore wisdom's call, because there are those who are actively ignoring wisdom. And there are those who are passively ignoring wisdom. So let's read through our text, verses 20 through 32. The sage writes this, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? And fools hate knowledge. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. 
Because I have called you and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge, did not choose to fear the Lord, would have none of my counsel, and despised all, of, all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way, and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. So the Father gives a warning of those who reject wisdom. It's a dramatic picture that he gives here of wisdom personified as a woman standing in the most populated area of the city, raising her voice above the bartering of the marketplace, the bustling of traffic, the noise of livestock. Lady Wisdom calls out to all that, that would listen to her. And she has a specific audience in mind. Those who reject her passively, the simple is her main audience, but also calling a warning to those who reject her actively, the scoffers and the fools. On this note, theologian Raymond Ortland helps describe for us what these three categories, or represents these three categories, the scoffer, the fool, and the simple. And he writes this, quote, a scoffer is an aggressive, confident, calculating person, outwardly impressive, often successful, but he will slit your throat. A fool is a thick-headed, stubborn dolt. He doesn't listen. He always knows better, always has an excuse. Nothing is ever his fault. Both scoffer and the fool are headed for disaster. But the simple, they are the undercommitted. They don't really know what they're living for. They tend to go with the flow and conform. The simple still have a chance, Ortland writes. They might respond to Lady Wisdom. That's why she's calling to them. Wisdom calls out to the simple, and she has one question for them. How long? How long? How many sermons do you need to hear? How many scripture verses are you going to read that are better suited for somebody else? How long? How many books are you going to read until you realize that you are the one that is coasting down this path, headed toward destruction? She's calling to them. She's calling to them, how long until you realize and you jump ship and swim toward the narrow path? Her message, how long will you continue down the path toward destruction? Her solution is found in verse 23. Turn. Turn. It's a biblical picture of repentance that we see Old Testament, New Testament. This not just turning from the path you were going to whatever you feel like next. No, this is an intentional turning from the path of destruction, turning to the path of the Lord, the way of wisdom. This is the picture of repentance, turning from the direction you are heading, turning to the Lord. This is our solution. How long, how much more is it going to take for you to turn from the direction you are headed and to turn to the Lord? 
How long till you turn from the worship of self, the defense of self, the preservation of self, and you turn your affections and your attention to Christ? And she says, if you turn, which is that act of repentance, if you turn, God's spirit will be poured out upon you. His word will be made known to you. This is such a beautiful picture of God's work of salvation here in the book of Proverbs. Turning from the path of self-exaltation, humbling yourself, and turning to the Lord in reverent awe of who he is and what he has done. It's a sobering word for those who refuse to turn to the Lord before that great day, great and terrible day of judgment. For on that day, it will be too late. And this picture that's painted here is that of those who refuse, who continue in their rejection of wisdom's call, who continue in their rejection of salvation offered to them by the Lord and it says, when you come to that day, terror strikes you like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, or better yet understood as a tornado, when distress and anguish come upon you. On the day of judgment, it will not be the compassion of the Lord, the scoffer and the fool will meet, but the wrath of God. This is sobering text. It is a reminder for those who have not yet turned to Christ, the day of salvation is today. It is not tomorrow. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. And it is certainly not waiting until the day of judgment because that day is a day of wrath for all those who are not in Christ. It is a sobering judgment. Jesus picks up this sobering message in Matthew chapter 25 with three parables. We won't look in depth at this, but I encourage you to read. And it is a scary text, I will warn you. It is a scary text for those who continue to live for self. Jesus gives three parables in Matthew 25. One of 10 virgins, one of talents being given, and one of sheep and goats. All talking about what happens when that great and terrible day of judgment comes that those who turn to look for salvation on that day will only find wrath. And again, this is a sobering text for those who are not in Christ, but it is also a sobering text for those who are in Christ because it reveals the importance of why God has left us here. We have a mission. If you are in Christ, our mission is to say, you don't have to experience God's wrath upon that day. Because Christ has taken God's wrath for you. God has made a way of salvation when there was none. And you read through the Old Testament, you see case after case after case of the best of us trying to make sense of the mess we made in, Gen in Genesis chapter 3. Right? You see Solomon, the wisest of all, who likely maybe was the one who wrote the book of Proverbs. Solomon, the wisest of us all, guess what? He could not fix the problem. He was incapable of remedying the error of sin, the, the stain of sin. You see, David, story after story of this mighty warrior, guess what? He could not fix the problem. None of us could 
Moses bringing the law, guess what? We just broke the law. That's what we do. It's fallen, sinful beings, but God knew this. And God created a way of salvation. And so this sobering text, because the fool and the scoffer reject God's compassion, because they refuse to listen in verse 24, they ignore the counsel and reproof that the Lord sends them, the judgment they incur will be their own doing. Because they hated knowledge, did not choose the fear of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 1 reminds us that those who continue in their rebellion against God shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. Friends, this is why we need the gospel. This is why we need to remind ourselves of the gospel every day. This is why we need to tell others of the good news that God has made a way of salvation. We remind ourselves because we all were there at one point, if not there now. Scripture says very clearly, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. We're in the actively rebelling against God camp. The only remedy from that camp is Christ. And this is why we need to remind ourselves daily of our need for the gospel. Remind ourselves, and, and it should draw us, those who are in Christ, to worship Jesus. Thank you, God, for what you have done. And it may also, and, and it also ought to draw us into the mission of the church. Because there are those around us, friends, family, neighbors, who are continuing in their rebellion against God. Will we do nothing? Will you do nothing? Will I do nothing? It's a sobering question. It is a necessary question. It is a question that Proverbs is asking us as we walk this path of wisdom. The father tells the son, relentlessly seek wisdom. Prepare for and resist the propensity to trust your own way. Because ultimately, these who are rejecting wisdom, that's what they're doing. They're saying, I've got this. I can take care of this. I can fix this problem. When in actuality, they can't. They can't. But we as people are really good at pretending. We're really good at it. So much so that we can even pretend and fake ourselves. We think that we're okay when in reality, we all are in need of the gospel. Well, all of this sobering text, at least we have verse 33, which is a light of hope in Proverbs chapter 1. And we see this. Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Those first two words, whoever listens, it means that some will listen. That is good news. Some will listen to the call of wisdom. Some will respond. The strong warning to those who ignore the call of wisdom and reject the gift of God is followed by the shining light. Those who do hear, who do listen, 
who respond by turning from the path of selfishness and turning to God. And those who, dwell, those, those who do will dwell in peace and security. Now, the ease that is talking about here, it's not about worldly comfort. It's about shalom. It's about peace. Peace with God. Peace that is only gained through right relationship with God, which is only gained by turning to Christ. The strong warning ought to charge us. It ought to set our minds toward the mission. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, it is our privilege and our mission to boast in the cross, to tell others this is what God has done. This path of destruction that, that we are all on, save for God, a move of God, we don't have to follow that path to the end. God has made a way of salvation through Christ. And this path of wisdom, as given in, in the book of Proverbs, it leads us to Christ. It doesn't lead us only to, to cities of gold and all this treasure and different things. Those are, those are all peripheral. The, tre- the greatest treasure that is at the end of this path of wisdom is Christ. Only Christ. So we ask the question, how do, how do we prepare? As the Father is instructing the Son, how do we actively prepare for resisting these temptations as we walk this path of wisdom? How do we prepare for the temptations faced in this life? We need to see the beautiful treasure of Christ. We need to set our attention and our affections solely on him. If we think that this world offers treasures equal to or greater than Christ, we are gravely mistaken. If you are here today and you are a professing follower of Jesus, my charge to you is to see and savor the greatest treasure possible, Jesus. No relationship as good as it can be. And let me tell you this, marriage is awesome. My wife and I are about to celebrate 21 years of marriage and marriage is a beautiful gift that God has given us. But no relationship, no commodity. And I will say this, guitars are really cool. I really like them. They're really fun to play. And whatever it is for you that you like, those things are good, but no commodity, no experience. And we love sunshine and warm beaches, especially this time of the year, but no experience for the follower of Jesus. Nothing compares to Christ. Nothing. All else pales. Do we believe that? Is it here? Or is it just in the songs we sing on Sunday mornings? If you do not know Christ, you're here this morning, nor have you experienced the glory of him, I would put before you the gospel. Jesus, fully divine, truly God, added to himself human flesh in order to suffer and to die to redeem fallen man. In other words, Christ lived a human life, died upon a Roman cross to redeem his people. Scripture calls us to repent, to turn from sin and to turn to Christ, turn to Jesus 
placing our faith in his perfect life, our trust in his sacrificial death, and looking to him, looking to Jesus as the greatest treasure above all other treasures so that you can truly say, take this world, but give me Jesus. Can you say that? Can I say that? Do we mean it when we say it? These are sobering questions, but they're good questions. They are good questions that we ought to ponder, to ask one another as we travel along the path of wisdom. There is no greater prize than knowing Christ. And this path of wisdom leads us to Jesus and to him alone. Wisdom calls to the simple, to the arrogant, to the self-sufficient, the lost, the wandering, the hurting, the successful, all the same. Come to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Friend, may you know the grace of God. May his way be the path you obediently follow, regardless of the hardships you face. May you, in all, in, in all his sufficient strength, resist the temptation to make much of yourself. And instead, May you make much of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. God, this morning we come before you. We confess our need for you. God, we thank you for your word. Your word is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our path. I pray, God, that you would make us people of your word. That it would shape us. It would shape our character, who we are and what we love. Ultimately, your word would direct our attention to you and the beautiful gift, Jesus, that you are to us. Jesus, would you be the greatest treasure, our greatest desire, what we talk about most and boast to our friends and neighbors, maybe you, Jesus. May you shape us into your image. Not for our comfort, not so that we can pat ourselves on the back and say, look at what we've accomplished. So that we, as Revelation says, we can throw our crowns down at your feet and say, our glory be to you alone. May we engage in the mission of proclaiming the gospel in every opportunity you give us. And may we walk the path of wisdom for your name's sake. Amen.